Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Mike Stafford here, the Portable Pastor, bringing you another teaching from God's Word. we got a lot to cover today, so let's jump right into this thing. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today. Now we come to this part of Jesus' teaching and, and most Christians are going to recognize this. It's, it's that sacred prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So let's read it together from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. This is Jesus speaking. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many people in the world kind of hold to a, to a mystical nature of this prayer. It's, it's often treated as a, as a sort of a magical, religious incantation, really, it, it, or superstitious, you know, some kind of superstitious ritual to, to draw someone closer to God or to gain his favor or to win a victory, you know, is chanted in the locker rooms for good luck. It's, it's put on wooden plaques and hung up to remind people of their, of their religious attempts to get to God, you know, their religion, but some would say it's it's the most sacred of prayers that one can pray. So it's it's it is religiously quoted, you know, in in liturgical churches during every gathering of the church. It's prayed so often that people, as we learned last week, people can go go mindless and still never miss a word. We've we've learned the truth about about any prayer that's that's just simply recited. We we talked about that over the last couple of weeks. What do we learn? Well, God listens and works through through relationship, not not religion, not just words, but through relationship. He's far more interested in the motives of our heart than our our word choices. So would would he have taught us these things, you know, that we've learned the last couple of weeks and then turn right back around and instruct us to to do the opposite, to pray this this rote prayer? I, I say no way, man. No, no way. Here, here's the truth about the Lord's Prayer. This is what I've learned this week. It's a it's a pattern of how to pray. That's it. It's not intended to be anything more than instruction on how to pray. But people deify this prayer. I think it's just because they don't understand the purpose of it. So let, let me prove it. The only other time that this, this type of praying is mentioned in the scriptures is in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 11, listen to this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So the occasion was different than the first. The the first was in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? The second in, in, in Luke, that that was a response to a question on how to pray. So notice the, the similarities in the differences 
in the word choices that Jesus had. So Matthew starts out with our Father who art in heaven, and Luke begins with Father, hallowed be thy name. Matthew writes, your kingdom come, your will be done. Luke simply writes, your kingdom come. Matthew records, give us this day our daily bread, where Luke writes, give us each day our daily bread. And where Matthew writes, forgive us our debts, Luke writes, forgive us our sins. Now both say, lead us not in temptation, but only Matthew says, deliver us from evil. So those two prayers have have noticeably different language. If this prayer, if this prayer was indeed intended to be a, a rote uh, religious, you know, recitation, J- Jesus would have said the exact same words and Matthew and Luke would have recorded it identically. So since this is not the case, we have to understand that this prayer that, that Jesus taught us to, to pray is for teaching purposes. It's a pattern of how we should pray and not a sacred set of, of pre-aligned words. So notice that these words spoken by Christ illustrate the teachings that he gave on prayer in the previous verses. Remember what we've learned. Don't use repetitious names and words to get God's attention. Don't babble like godless people who pray to a fake God who can't who can't listen. Don't don't evaluate uh, don't don't elevate don't elevate yourself above God. Pray pray from your heart. You engage your mind. Pray simple prayers and focus on your communication with him. So that was the teaching that led up to the Lord's prayer in in Matthew. And so remember the teaching, just like various elements of of corporate worship, there's there's elements in prayer. And Jesus is teaching us to use those elements in this prayer illustration. Now, I think there are five different elements in this prayer. I read a blog on a web by a guy named Larry Stockstill, and it, it, he had a piece entitled Five Powerful Components to the Lord's Prayer. So let me echo some of that outline, but I would have included one more point and, and used two of his in the same in the same topic. I'll, I'll explain it as we go, okay? So what are the elements that Jesus is using in this teaching? The first is that, you know, Jesus mentions that there's a praise element in prayer. Now, Larry would call that adoration. So adoration is, by the way, is love. I mean, ador- yeah, adoration. Adoration is is when you admire and love someone and offer them respect, right? So the New Testament doesn't use the word adoration that much. Instead, it uses the word proskuneo, proskuneo, which means to to bow down before, to revere, uh, theologians understand that a part of that word means to kiss. So it, it it's commonly translated worship. You, you get on your knees, you prostrate yourself completely and kiss the ground of a superior being of God to, you know, to worship him in order to worship him. So we offer God love and admiration. We even bow before him in prayer. That's the praise element. This is why we refer to the to the opening music in our services as worship. We we call our praise team worship leaders. In those songs, we praise the Lord. We we give him adoration. We offer expressions of adoration. You know, uh, we recognize who he is. We reflect what he's done. We're thankful for his his revealed attributes. We're thankful for all of his blessings. So what did Jesus pray? Our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow something means to to make it holy or to separate it from 
from from the common, you know, to to sanctify it. So God's names are are no common names, and we praise Him because He reveals Himself in those names. God's names represent all His character and His attributes. So, what are the names of God? Well, I, I don't know them all, but I can tell you the nineteen that are listed in the Old Testament. Okay, three of them mean the same thing. So, Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai. All of that means Lord. He's Lord of all. Then there's El, Eloah. That's God, God's nature of being prominent in strength. There's no one as strong as him. There's Elohim. That's God, the mighty and strong creator. El Shaddai means God Almighty, the Almighty God of Jacob. El Elyon means the Most High. There's nothing above him. El, El Roi means God of seeing. He's all-knowing. El Olam means everlasting God. He's from beginning to end. Well, there is no beginning to end. Actually, he just is. There's El Gabor, which means mighty God. Then there's the the Yahweh names or Jehovah names. You know, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Yahweh Tzitkanu, the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh Nessi, the Lord is our banner. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord is our shepherd. Yahweh Jireh means the Lord will provide. Yahweh Mekadish means um, the Lord who sanctifies and makes holy. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Yahweh Sabbath means the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of the angels. Yahweh Elohim, he is Lord God. Lord God above everything. So those are his names in the Old Testament. And those tell of his attributes that set him apart and, and are used to describe him only. But we know that the world's tried to steal those names and use them for their own cause. And they would say, I march under the banner of pride. My government will provide. My education, my school is what sets me apart. You know, the 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 party of the donkey and the party of the elephant, they're the ones that are going to bring me peace. And the internet, oh, the internet is my all-loving God. Humanity has stolen God's names, and he'll take it back soon enough. But God's followers, his elect, in our, in our praise, in our admiration, we know the character of God by his names, and we repeat them. They are hallowed to us. So you want a list of those, those names, um, you can go on the internet, just do a simple Old Testament names of God, and those, that will come up. All right, so we worship God. It's an element in our prayers. Jesus taught us that. Next, Jesus teaches us to include an element of submission. We're to submit to God's rule, to God's reign. Now, Larry calls that, uh, or, or says there's an element of consecration in, in, this, in this particular part of the prayer. In, in the Bible, the word consecration means to separate from things that are unclean, things that are sinful. It carries this idea of the sanctification process. You know, God's making us better. It carries the idea of, of holiness and purity. So his kingdom, we know that his kingdom is superior because it's presided over in complete holiness with pure motives. His governing constitution is is better than ours because it comes from a pure, a set of pure and holy intentions. That's why Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No kingdom on earth. You got to admit this, no kingdom of this world can make the claim to, that that they're separate from sin, they're separate from impurity. 
You, you got to admit, the walls of every single earthly kingdom are built with bricks of greed and jealousy. You know that. They're painted with the blood of each tyrant's victims eventually. They were all constructed with pride and retain all of its citizens' sin. Even our own personal kingdoms pale in comparison. We are completely sin-saturated. We must yield to the absolute holiness and purity of his kingdom. Oh, Oh, don't you yearn? Don't you yearn to live in a place where holiness and purity is in everything? That that's that's heaven, and we desire it for to be here. So we pray, Lord, your will be done here, your kingdom to preside here, so so we can experience some of that now and be separated from this evil world, and and others can see it and want citizenship into that perfect kingdom. So there has to be this submission to the superiority of His kingdom. The next element that's taught in the Lord's Prayer is just simply requests. Now, Larry points to a couple of terms. These are the ones that I said uh, are combined. A a couple of terms um, that we use to describe this supplication, intercession. Supplication in the Bible literally means to make a request. So when you say a prayer of supplication, you're asking God for something, something personal for you. Intercessory prayer is the act of praying on behalf of others. So Jesus used this example, right? Give us this day our daily bread. That's both supplication and intercession because he says us. Give us this day our daily bread. In essence, Lord, brother got to eat. I need some bread, preferably with a sweet hot sugary glaze over it, but I need some bread. And so although, although we get to ask God for stuff, Jesus' example focused on the most basic of our needs, didn't it? It, it doesn't. It? It's food. And we can ask for ourselves, remember that's supplication, we can ask for others, that's intercession, we can ask for those basic things. Lord, give us today the food and water we need. Lord, give us today our shelter, our resources, our comfort and encouragement. Give us today healing and healthy relationships. We can ask for anything. But that doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to give it to us. So the better prayer is, is, Lord, give me what I need to make it through this day. That's what Jesus taught in the prayer. Remember, we got to use simple, humble, heartfelt requests, mind engaged in our requests. I got to move on. We got a lot to cover today. So the next element that Jesus mentions is confession. This is the one that Larry didn't mention. And there may be a good cause for that. There's a little bit of confusion in this. Jesus prayed and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Now, this is not talking about, you know, debt a debt-free society. He's not talking, he's talking about sin. He's not talking about money. He's talking about sin. That's why some of your versions use the translated word sin and others trespasses. It's the same word. It's just translated a little bit differently. Jesus said to pray and ask God to forgive your sins. But this raises, this raises a good question. Maybe this is why Larry didn't cover this. Wasn't, this is the question. What, wasn't I forgiven at salvation? I mean, bear with me. When you were saved, all of your past, present, and future sins were forgiven. They have no bearing on your eternal home. So why did Jesus teach us to keep asking for forgiveness? If all of that happened on the cross, why did he teach us to ask for forgiveness? Well, I think if we look at the scriptures of the whole as a whole, we can see there's a couple of kinds of forgiveness. There's positional forgiveness and there's relational forgiveness. Now put on your thinking caps. You got to get this. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. 
Remember, G, uh, Paul is writing to Christians here, and he's he's helping them to deal with their sins. So what does it say? This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's talking to Christians. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there is some element here that you know confession and forgiveness are, are ongoing. But is he talking about living in heaven or is he talking about living here? He's talking about living here. Now listen, when you were saved, you were positioned in Christ who's in heaven. Remember Ephesians 2, 4, and 6, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Listen, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You were positioned for the future. Your eternal life with him is secure. That position is not going to change. Your sins will not keep you from that promise, that blessed hope that Paul, Paul, uh, Paul mentioned. However, you still live here and you still have the propensity to sin. That's what 1 John says. You have the propensity to sin and those sins block you from having a closeness with God here. It has nothing to do with eternity. He's talking about here. Remember what we just read in 1 John you know, God is light in him's no darkness at all. And when we sin, we walk in darkness. You can't walk in the light while living in the darkness of sin. There's, there is a temporary separation. You've grieved the Holy Spirit and the close relationship with him on earth that you're supposed to have. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about here. That relationship on earth will suffer. Now you're still going to heaven, but his blessings are going to be absent while you're here. Where Jesus taught us to ask for forgiveness, John says to confess sin. Both refer to the same earthly end. Both are to restore fellowship through relational forgiveness. You want to be as close to God as you can be right here. So Jesus said, ask for forgiveness for the sins that grieve the Holy Spirit inside of you and divide you from a closeness with God. Again, that's not, a, that's not for salvational purposes. It's for relational purposes. Now, I hope that makes sense. Jesus goes on to say that this restored relationship with him after we sin, that's going to be reflected in our forgiveness of others. When we live with unconfessed sin, we are less capable of forgiving others. But when we confess our sins and seek relational forgiveness, we can relationally forgive others. So Jesus includes this in his prayer. And finally, the, the fifth element that Jesus mentioned is just an element of help. Larry calls this protection, but it's help. Jesus prayed, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, don't, don't misunderstand the scriptures. God will never lead you to sin. The Bible is clear in James. We are tested by God to win, but we're tempted by our own desires to fail. It's not God who tempts us. It's the desire inside of us that causes us to be tempted. So what does Jesus mean when he says, lead us not into temptation? Well, I, I read a good illustration of Jesus's intent. 
Okay, this illustration says a mother takes her young child into a grocery store and and comes to the, the candy aisle, right? She knows that taking her child down that aisle was going to stir up a, a greediness in them. And it may, you know, if, if she says no, it's going to lead to, to bouts of whining and pouting. And so in wisdom, she takes another route. You know, what, whatever she needs to do to, to, to not go down that candy aisle and have, you know, he, she may tell him, you'll have to wait for another day on that one. Well, in this way, the mother averts this, this unpleasantness, spares her child this trial. So Jesus is saying it's okay to, to pray for the avoidance of a situation that may tempt you. You can pray that. It's okay to pray that. But understand, he may not grant it. Remember, Paul prayed it. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. God may want to show his grace in your struggle. God may want you to, 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 to get stronger and to get victory over that. After all, there's no real victory over an absent enemy, is there? But we can, we can pray. We can ask God to help us avoid the, the possibility of temptation. That is okay to pray that. So regardless of, of, of any way that he chooses to answer, we pray for his assistance. His assistance uh, you know, the assistance of his Holy Spirit in, in overcoming our personal sin. So don't miss, don't miss the important part of that prayer. Lord, help me. I'm getting into an area where I might be tempted. And, and Jesus includes this protection uh, in this prayer, even protection from the direct attacks of the devil. Okay, he, the devil's taking shots at you. Jesus knows that he took shots at him. So he says, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. This, this is an essential part of this prayer because we cannot beat the devil by ourselves. He is a very powerful being. So Jesus includes this in a prayer. So, so, so that's the Lord's prayer. It's not a prayer that, that we are to memorize and recite back to God so that we think that we are in his good graces. No, that, that's, that's just religion. Okay, you can obviously say that or sing it with, with no relationship with God at all. This prayer is simply an example of how we should pray. Now, now there's nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer and communicating it back to God. That's a beautiful thing, as long as your mind is engaged, and that is a, a heartfelt prayer. But if it's not, it's just religion. And remember, in, in prayer, God is far more interested in the condition of your heart than the structure of your sentences, okay? So let me ask you have, you, have you engaged your mind, poured out your heart, and spoke with God today? If not, listen to the example of Christ. Praise Him, submit to Him, make your requests known to Him, confess your sins to Him, ask Him for His help in overcoming your sin and the enemy and, and being victorious in this life. Christian, if you're learning how to pray, start right there. Use that model. Use that model. Non-Christian, your, your initial prayer is, is different. You, it's, it's different. You, you're praying for salvation. <laughs> That's, that should be your focus because a sinner has deserved an eternity in hell. That's what the scripture says. Apart from God, where there is nothing good. But Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty for anyone who would believe in him. Anyone that would confess their sins, believe in him, and, and live according to his, his uh, commands as best as they can, that's, that's what people need to do to be saved. So your prayer is different. Lord, save me. 
Save me from that eternal condition. Save me from my own sin. Write my name in your book, God. Include me in your in your kingdom. And he will. He will if you pray that prayer. Look, if you'd like to ask ask me some questions about that or, or start an online conversation, just email me at mike at fbcclover.com. I love to be able to, to start that conversation with you. Listen, next week we're going to come back with a, a very brief teaching. We're having a, a Unity Through Mission Sunday. And so I'm just, we have so many things that we're going to cover in that service because we don't, our, our congregation, we have two different worship times and we don't get to worship very often together. So we're including baptism and the Lord's Supper and some recognitions and and those things that we don't get to do together. So the sermon's a little bit shorter, but I'll come back with some teaching about what unifies us. What should unify your church and ours? What should unify you and me? When we have all these vast differences, what is it that unifies us? And it's the mission. I'll have that for you next week. Well, have a great week. Listen, uh, email me if you want to talk about anything or if you want me to pray for you. I love to love to pray for you. In fact, let me do so now. Dear God, I ask that you would give each listener, each listener what they need today. Help them to pour their heart out to you and and to uh, to still to stick close with you all day long, all day long. God, would you draw them? Thank you in Christ's name, Amen. We hope you have a great week. Remember, if you're walking with God, if you're in step with step with Him, He is very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.